Welcome everyone to Unpacking the Bible. In this week, we are going to be going through Luke 2, which is another gorgeous passage um, covering three main areas. We've got uh, the birth of Jesus, including the narrative about the shepherds. We had the Magi in Matthew, and now we have the shepherds in Luke, which is a nice contrast. Uh, Our second bit of story is about Jesus being presented in the temple. And then our final story to round out this chapter is about the boy Jesus at the temple where he uh, kind of reveals his mm, knowledge of his own divinity. His his, his superpowers. Yes, he reveals his superpowers. (laughs) (laughs) Mom, dad, I've been meaning to tell you for a while. I'm actually the son of God. Um, so this will be fun. So I think let's uh, let's uh, let's start at uh, at the beginning, shall we? We have uh, this intro where it talks about Caesar Augustus, and we have Quirinius. Um, are these people mentioned anywhere else, Gordon? Uh, well, Caesar Augustus is a very well known. A figure in the ancient world, of course, uh, he um, he kind of you know he uh, after Julius Caesar, of which he I think he was adopted into that family, and he brought the whole Roman experience together under really one emperor uh, and brought some stability to the empire that that had been it had been unstable for a number of years. So uh, so yes, he's a he's a well known uh, well known figure, and in general, uh, I would I would I don't know if you call him quite benevolent, but a, a positive figure in terms of bringing the empire to some sort of sort of stability, which the world really needed at that point. Quirinius was sent by Caesar to become the legate of Syria. So Syria in the north uh, controlled. Judea in the south. Okay, uh, that, that's where the, sort of the major legions were were generally in the area were were stationed. So he was sent to be the legate of, uh, legate of Syria, uh, and he was sent to do a, a census, but also to dispose of uh, Archelaus's uh, property and goods. And this is six eighty six. Uh, and was you, that Herod's dad? Uh, n- no, Herod's. Uh, it would be Herod, one of Herod's sons. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, remember, he he was the one who they said uh, you could you, you could be king, but we're not going to call you oh, that right now. That's right. That's right. Uh, so he didn't do well, and in six A.D. he was exiled. So, uh, so of course they had to they had to deal with all of all of his stuff basically, uh, and you see it. The, the census is mentioned in Acts five thirty seven. And also in Josephus, the Jewish historian, his Antiquities of the Jews, chapter 18. But the problem is, uh, we know of this happening in AD 6. The problem is, uh, you know, this is well after Jesus' birth, which is around AD 4. At least that's what we're thinking. Right. Or excuse me, 4 BC. So there are a couple... Pause of, right there, Gordon. Yeah, go that's for it. A, that's a, a fun one, isn't it? 4 BC, we're thinking, because some monks got it wrong somewhere? Yeah, well, you know, it's all a little bit, it's all a little bit, um, it's not highly uncertain, but it's a little bit uncertain, be- just because of the way the dates were done in those days. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to, to nail them down. Okay. So, uh, for one thing. And of course, there wasn't any, there was no big signs, you know, in the newspaper or <laughs> online, hey, the Son of God's been born today. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yes, good point. 
So, uh, so what do we do with that? Well, uh, you know, Quirinius may have been the legate in the region earlier than that. So he may have been legate um, and let go and sent back again. Uh, there is a, a sort of document that talks about an officer uh, being the legate of Syria for the second time. So it, it may have been him. Uh, the other one is that um, it, the the you know verse uh, verse two could actually be read. This census was before that made when Quirinius was governor, and that's possible because of the the word prote can be translated as former or prior, but it's not the necessarily the normal way that is translated. So you, you know it's one of those places where, and this is what we have to be used to in history. Uh, Sometimes you just don't know for sure. Yeah. There's gaps because because it was 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And we just have to be a little bit okay with that. We can't automatically assume Luke didn't know what he was talking about because he was an idiot. You know, that that's, you know, if he was an idiot, then most people would have said, hey, that's not right. Mm. This is ridiculous. And you don't really have that. Yeah. That's good. So I think what's interesting here, uh, and we've sort of, uh, we, we've put it a little bit out of order. We talked about Matthew and the whole uh, Magi, but actually that's some time period, you know, let's say two years after Jesus' birth or somewhere around there. With this, we're talking about the actual birth time here in Luke. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if we move into verse four, it talks about Joseph uh, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem in the town of David because he belonged to the house of, and line of David. So it's we're getting we're getting the orderly account that Luke was setting out for, aren't we? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's a good orderly account. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This is interesting. This is quite different to Matthew, which goes through pains to kind of paint like a bit more of the relationship and a bit more of the tension in it and some angelic visitations for joseph but joseph here just gets the short story doesn't he <laughs> that's right he does and uh and we get this lovely um this lovely passage where it talks about the birth of jesus and i love thinking about this outside of christmas because i don't feel any festive kind of mood in me as i'm looking at this passage now um but i but it's it's beautiful to think of it this is a this is I don't know. This is like, this is such a normal event with extraordinary circumstances surrounding it. Um, yeah. And so it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She, <laughs> <Ta-da>! <laughs> I like that. That's so funny. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Like it doesn't just say the son of God, does it? Which no. Is funny. <laughs> but they, they've already intimated that. Um, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. When I read this passage, I think about all the popular culture images of Jesus and the stable. Yeah. We, we have this concept of the stable and literally being with a donkey and a cow mooing over him and all these things. It doesn't really say that here. What's, what is the deal? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure the animals were sort of put out with this baby in their manger. How are we supposed to eat if if you're in the feed trough? Come on, get out of the road. <laughs> uh, no, I think that the language of the manger, which you're right, is is the feed trough, uh, indicates that yes, they're in, it's actually in the place where there are animals. 
and uh, the word the word used for in here is not really the normal word. It's a uh, it's really a, a word sort of for like um, uh, just like a room. So uh, so the you know the upper room. I think it's also the same words being used for that a guest room, a soldier's room, any place that people stayed. But the other term that's used for in uh, is like a place where. Everybody can go. Sometimes that wasn't a good thing. It was a okay. It was a you know people got robbed in inns and um, so it's not always always the best place. So it's this kind of this kind of room, and uh, you know as we were talking about earlier, it, this is pretty normal actually. It's not. I think we get the impression that you know what there was only this one little spot and the you know the inn manager was a. You can ha- you know begrudging you know it's Christmas I'm not doing this but no it's uh, it's more it's it's a normal may probably even a normal house uh, because a lot of times people lived with their animals or they were in the you know, on the second story and the animals were down below in the first story it was just a normal way that life and e- even today it's a normal way for people to live so it's it's actually a pretty kind of normal spot I guess yeah. Um, for for somebody who doesn't own the house, yeah, yeah, and the cloths. Uh, I found the cloths were. This is fascinating because they, you know, we, I don't know how common it is, but you know, when when uh, with our our son Matthew, one of the things that would make him just be calm is we would wrap him in a blanket and we would wrap it tight. Oh yeah, yeah, right? we did that too. Yeah. Now our our second child couldn't stand it, <laughs> drove her crazy. But uh, but here this 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 I, they had these long cloths and they would wrap the child in it and it made them warm and it made them secure and uh, kept them from getting hurt. And in Ezekiel uh, sixteen verse four, this is there's this amazing picture of how they did this, uh, but it's from the negative side and it pictures Israel as a child that's been abandoned and neglected and therefore not wrapped. And it says this, uh, as for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out in the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. So this is actually a really normal uh, way of receiving a child that is loved and cared for. So Jesus comes right into this place where it's it's not fabulous, right. but everything that's important is right there. Yeah, yeah. And so we're getting that from, I, I guess Matthew gives the great contrast of the these magi going to a palace and saying, where's the king? Yeah. It's not here. And here we get the, uh, we get the image of, you know, maybe not the worst place, but we don't have to make it worse than it is, you know, worse than it says it yeah, is, sorry. right? So um, that's good. So maybe the cow was pushed pushed aside, and it, maybe it wasn't so bad. Yeah, he he moved. <laughs> Sorry. Oh man, <laughs> oh, so good. But this humble theme does continue. We we move then into the story about the shepherds um, out washing their socks by night. That's what we sang when we were kids. <laughs> while shepherds washed their socks by night. Thank yes. You. <laughs> And um, they're out there watching the sheep and an angel appears to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. Uh, But the angel says to them, you should know what's coming because they seem to say it all the time. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to all those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurry down and they see just as the angels had told them. Yeah. Um, we've got another story of this angelic visitation. Yeah. And this one seems very dramatic. It's, yeah, it's Maybe amazing. more than the other ones. Yeah. Uh, I, I think probably in the, you know, when angels are trained, you know, part of the instruction <laughs> manual says, use this line, do not be afraid. <laughs> You're going to have to use this over and over again because that's what they end up doing. Well, so, I, know we're, I know we're not given this detail of mm-hmm. like why we, people would be terrified of them, but any speculation for fun? Uh, I, you know, it could be the divine glory coming off them could be the feeling the weightiness feeling i think c.s lewis talks a little bit about this actually in quite a good uh, quite quite a good way in that that hideous strength you know this angel's coming or he doesn't say it angel but the the equivalent in his mind is coming into this room and the room tilts and there's a oh. gravity to the moment that is uh, unhuman so you know it's all speculation but yeah. um but yeah, it would be it would definitely be something, and like you ha- you have some situations in the Old Testament where an angel shows up and they have no idea, just think it's a man, right? And kind then you have bailed. some that people are ah, freaked out, and uh, these are this is the freaked out type. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think I mean the thing that's interesting here. For, of course, first there's one angel that shows up. It's not suddenly the choir breaks in. Ah, uh, there's one that shows up first, and then then the others can't hold back, and they break in, which is pretty pretty fabulous, actually. It's a, like you said, it's a great scene. But shepherds uh, shepherds are really uh, thought to be untrustworthy, thought to be unclean because of the uh, you know the, their occupation wasn't really a clean. Uh, so it's really unlikely. It, this is. If you thought about, well, you know, where's the king going to be, you know, greeted? Well, the announcement's coming to a bunch of people that you would not expect, and they're not close to anything. They're out in the country. So, it, you know, they're, it, it's, it's really a picture, and you see this all through Luke, uh, that Jesus, and in fact, the good news comes to those who are social outcasts first. Hmm. That, at least in, in Luke, Luke, it's important for Luke to to push on this door, this button over and over and over again. And, and I, think, uh, I think because of Jesus' upbringing, because of, in this case, the, you know, the people that get the gospel first, it's an indication probably that Jesus really uh, easily identifies with people who are not at the top of the uh, hierarchy, you know, the social ladder. He, he obviously can move through those circumstances quite well, but... but um, but here, you know, the first people are people that, yeah, let's send them out to the field because we don't know what else to do with them. You know, uh, just as a bit of a side note, you know, we have several dates, of course, in our calendar for when this happened. When was mm. Jesus born? Well, December 25th, of course, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it could have happened because it was, it was pretty mild. The shepherds could have been out at that time. Um, you know, but that was also the date for the... Uh, Sol Invictus, right? One one of the special 
to find dates. Like a pagan Yeah, festival. a pagan, pagan festival. Yeah. Um, but by the end of the fourth century, this date uh, became associated with Jesus. And, you know, why was that? In fact, Christianity did this a lot over the years, took over pagan festivals and dates, etc. Wow. And, uh, it, you know, if you read some people's uh, articles and books, there's a big deal made of it in a sort of negative fa- sense, like, oh, you know, the, don't you know it was a pagan, you know, it's not really, as if somehow this is a, a, was a bad thing. But for them, it, it probably signified a number of things. You know, the, the, you know Saul Invictus, well, he, he's the unconquerable son, is now been conquered. And this date is now... Wow. You know, this date now is now associated with the one who conquered him. Okay, so it's not so much, because um, I, I, I'd always interpreted it as like they were trying to mask, oh, no, there's this dirty pagan festival. That's Let's right. cover it up and hush it down with, That's them, right. with a Christian festival. Where you're yeah. saying that the significance of taking it over, that has symbolic meaning. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I think even practically, people are used to, hey, don't don't we go and every don't we go every year for this yeah. festival? Okay, well we're just going to keep going. But right. now there's something else, and and I think um, you know I'm not sure all of why they did this, but again if we go back to Lewis, who's your your friend, mm. uh, you know he he saw uh, many things in society, tradition, even even pagan uh, symbols and and personages and festivals as being echoes of the real thing that was coming, yes. precursors. So there's another kind of way of thinking of this, that all these these special dates that are in pagandom are actually um, have, have uh, meaning, imagery, uh, human need that is, a, is an echo of, of the real thing, that, that uh, it's now being fulfilled, these things are being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And I, I love that. Uh, I love that it's not as suddenly we're we're breaking everything that has been done in the past. No, we're we're Jesus has come to fulfill everything, even the things we didn't know. Mm. You know, Paul even says this on Mars Hill, Acts seventeen, I believe it is. You know, I see you're so religious. Uh, you've even got an idol here to the unknown God. Well, let me tell you about the unknown God. Well, okay, you know that makes sense to me. Yeah. So I really love how. Um, Christianity and the message of Jesus is not all always about breaking uh, people's culture and beliefs. It's more about hey, there, uh, there's something more to this than you know, right? And the things you've desired and you've put your hopes on. Let let me explain this. Let me unpack this wow. more fully than you know. Yeah. So not not necessarily a fulfillment, but to. <laughs> Go back to Lewis again. He would say um, a deeper, yes, a deeper understanding, right. a deeper truth, the deeper magic, yeah, right? Is, As yeah. He says, yeah, that's, that's right, the deeper truth. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I love it. Is there any symbolism between um, the shepherds looking after lambs and Jesus being the sacrificial lamb? I'm not sure if Luke is intending this. Although I think as Christians, once you know Christians, once they're sort of fully versed in all of the symbolism, they they might look at that and say, "Oh, maybe there's something here." Certainly, the idea about shepherds. Well, you know, God is the good shepherd. Uh, Jesus, the good shepherd. Yeah. Um, you know, God is the shepherd who looks after His people. We we are the people uh, of His pasture. Um, so I think you you can go down that route. I'm not sure that Luke necessarily was thinking about that when he wrote these things. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, it's beautiful that he comes to the outcast. Yeah. It sings, doesn't it? Like when you slow down and you think about it, it just sings of his character and his nature. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Um, so this story kind of wraps up. They come and see Jesus, just like the angels had told them. And uh, what a phrase. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Yeah. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen. Um, this concept of Mary treasuring up in her heart is kind of a theme that gets pulled through to the end of the chapter, isn't it? Because now we're moving into two more stories about the identity of Jesus. Um, interestingly, we've had his vocation talked about um, by the angels. They've, they've, they've told the shepherds he's going to be the Messiah. Um, but we're getting, we're getting more identity as well. Yes. Um, so the next bit we have Jesus being presented in the temple. And this is another beautiful story. It doesn't get talked about as much, does it? I don't no. hear this being preached on very much. No. Um, but it, it's quite intense. So they take him to Jerusalem, um, which in itself is quite interesting, is it not? Because we've just heard that uh, in another gospel that Herod is very vexed and is like, watch out for those children. That's right. In Bethlehem. I guess he, maybe he was safer going to Jerusalem and yeah, hiding amongst yeah. the crowds. Mind you, that, um, that, was, uh, that was at least two years later. Right, you're right, you're right. So, um, so I'm not really sure how this worked. They must have done this, then gone back to, uh, oh. gone back to Bethlehem. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Barry was like, well, he's used to the manger now, so he, needs... <laughs> he sleeps best in the manger, Joseph. We have to stay here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> As a parent of a young child, I'm like, yes, <laughs> whatever it takes to keep the child asleep. Anyway, we digress. Yes. Um, he's presented in the temple and this curious pair who seem almost, or they seem almost supernatural in their position. They come out of left field and we have Simeon and Anna. Uh, Simeon gets described first. He was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Mm. And we talked last week about the Holy Spirit being on us. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. This is fascinating. Yeah. I have come across a few people in my lifetime who say, um, the Lord has told me that I'm going to see Jesus coming again in my lifetime. And I never disagree with them. But I think it's interesting because scripture says no one knows the hour yeah. of his coming, right? That's right. Um, but this is the first coming and to Simeon has been given this revelation. Um, and so he uh, he's moved by the spirit, goes out into the temple courts. And when the parents bring the child, uh, Simeon took him in his arms. So there's, this is, it's intimating here that he could have just been somewhere in the temple doing his thing and, and have missed this encounter. But the Holy Spirit reveals to him, he goes out at the right time, meets the family, and he sees, well, I'll read it out. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And it says, the child's father and mother marveled at what he said. And Simeon blesses them. And he says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many things in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Ooh, I'm Gordon. I'm dying to get you onto this, but let me, let me just do Anna and then I'll let you loose on this. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then sadly was a widow until she was 84. That's really sad. And she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Yeah. Doesn't tell us what she said, but... That's right. Um, whoa, this is a crazy story. Yeah. Can you unpack it for us? Sure. Uh, let, me, let me just back up a little bit because uh, what's happening here is... Of course, Jesus has been circumcised, eighth day, uh, but a woman was unclean uh, for a boy. In this case, it was 33 days. Don't ask me why it was double if she had had a girl, but in this case, it's 33 days. Okay. Uh, And that's from uh, Leviticus 12. Um, But when you get to that period where where the uncleanness is supposed to end, then the mother is supposed to make an offering. And uh, since they were poor... Uh, you know they they didn't have a lot, so they were allowed to offer two doves or two pigeons, yeah. as opposed to a lamb. Yeah. And uh, I I I think just as an aside, this is quite incredible that God makes allowance in in the law for people stationed in life. Wow, yeah. It's not like you know you're all going to be taxed the same. No, well, it's not going to work that well. So uh, I think it's it's quite good that that an allowance is made for people who don't have. Yeah. And so then that first uh, son was presented to the Lord. And uh, uh, What does that mean, being presented to the Lord? Lion King, you know. (laughs) I don't really know exactly. I guess brought to the priest, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and, And if you remember going all the way back to Exodus, the firstborn were, in a sense, they should have been slain like the firstborn of Egypt. Oh, yeah. And so they were bought back... And the Levites took their place, in a sense, as dedicated now to the Lord. And so, uh, so they're bought back. So, so you'd go, uh, this is my firstborn son, and now here, here's, the, here's another, it's a different offering now to buy my son back, in a sense. Right. And that, that's just the way that it worked, which is why in 1 Samuel, where Hannah, gives, or, where Hannah gives up Samuel to the Lord, and he actually goes and lives there, that's a bit of a twist on what's expected. Right. Because yes, you're you're supposed to give your firstborn son, but wait, wait, you're 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 supposed to buy him back. You're not buying him back. You want him to actually go. Okay. Um. So in this case, she's doing. They're doing. They're doing what they're expected to do. So you have these two things that are kind of jammed together in Luke's account. The present, you know, the the un, the, the sacrifice for her um, uncleanness after birth. And also the whole thing about him being presented and bought or given over and bought back. So uh, Luke puts those two things together. And then you have these individuals, while they're in that, uh, in that environment, um, it looks like these two individuals are... Obviously, Luke is trying to tell us 
A, they're filled with the Spirit, and they're very, they're righteous, they're pious people. They love God deeply, and God is speaking through them and, uh, and also to them. So uh, I think the fact that there's two probably is an indication of that old saying, you know, where there's two or three witnesses. We're, we're going to make sure that this is happening at this moment, not just with one, but we're going to have two so you know it's real. Um, and also in the middle of that, we're talking about a fair amount about Jesus' parents being presented as very pious, faithful people to the law. And that's a, that's a piece that gets overlooked a lot. You know, I, I'm, you know, for a long time, I just thought, oh, yeah, you know, they're just regular parents, and, da, 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 and they were regular parents. But God is not going to just drop his son into the middle of any old family. Hmm. You know, he, yes, they might not have a lot, but he's going to pick people who are going to be, they're, they're excellent. They, there's no chance that they don't love him right? and that they're going to go off the rails. No, these are, these are serious people in terms of their devotion to him. And so Jesus grows up in a good environment in that sense. So, yeah. And, and uh, just on that point, the, the whole tenor of Luke around the birth of Jesus, even before with Elizabeth, uh, you know, popping out John the baptizer, it's, um, it's filled with joy. Hmm. You know, we might say that the, of course, the, crucifixion resurrection is the, is the central point of history yeah. and that's absolutely true but the the fact that the fulfillment is now about to take place with Jesus coming into the world there is so much joy that is being uh, produced by individuals and angels and uh, each situation that it's it's uh, it's a dramatic uh, dramatic moment you know, the, the joy is surrounding the birth of this child. Yeah. And whenever we se- celebrate the birth of Jesus, yes, he's tiny baby Jesus. He can't do anything, can't drive a race car, but it's joyous. It's, it's fabulous, mm. you know. Mm. So. Wow. It does feel really triumphant, even as um, Simeon is moved by the Spirit. And you can only imagine he's been waiting it just describes he's religious devout and he'd been waiting for the consolation of Israel and he gets moved by the spirit, sees the family and is like, sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now, like he's saying, God, I can die now because my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepare for the sight of all nations. Like this must be overwhelming for him. Imagine. Um, Yeah. I love in it that he blesses them. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, in the midst of the joy, we do get this uh, maybe first moment of pain in, in the book of Luke. Yeah. Uh, he's destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. That's That feels significant. That feels prophetic, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, you know, prophetic in the sense of the prophets and the the judging and the you know the 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 will of god being executed Mm. but then when it says the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too and he's saying that to mary Mm. suddenly like this very visceral humanity is coming there and i guess that's talking about his his crucifixion right and yeah yeah recognizing the the very natural pain that's going to cause a mother. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- there's nobody else that's closer to him. 
uh, you know, he's not married, doesn't have children at the end. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, and probably we don't really hear about Joseph later on. We don't know, did he die of a heart attack? Did he, you know, yeah. whatever, um, Mary's, Mary's the one. And so, uh, yeah, it's very, it's, it's a, you know, if you read it, cl- you can skip over it, but if you read it closely, it does, it does give you in the middle of this joyousness. Yeah. There is that foreshadow of, oh, oh this is going to hurt. Yeah. You know, and it does, you know, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And and uh, and I think it's quite interesting that, you know, Luke could record anything here, and but he records as something that's very personal to one individual. Yeah. Yeah. Again, humanity is honored, uh, and the process of humanity is honored, isn't it? Yes. This God is astounding. <laughs> yes. Um. And then it just switches over to Anna. Um, and she's just been devoting herself, lived with her husband seven years, and then was a widow uh, till she was 84. She never left the temple, worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. I guess she didn't fast all the time, otherwise she'd be very hungry. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool. It's just a rounding off, coming to that very moment. And she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So that's interesting, isn't it? That's, um, I know there were a few who claimed to be a Messiah at the yes, time. And we have some um, historical failed messiahs yeah. and um, revolutionaries. Yeah. So maybe this wasn't that out of place. I mean, well, out of place, maybe not that unfamiliar to say, it's happening. Now's the time, guys. That's right. Yeah. A lot of people were really looking for the Messiah or it's revival something. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, culmi- it was culminating. It was, it was a, a pressure cooker in many ways. Sure. Number one, the foreign rule and the injustice in society was bad. Yeah. And so people people were desperate, and they'd been desperate for generations. So when that's the case, you know, the the the, the desperation and the and the looking for well, the, it's either exhausted, like we don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's no cynicism or it's, it's this high point where there's a, there's a desperation and we're looking everywhere. And so people were, uh, easily, uh, caught by pretenders and, uh, people who were a bit out of their mind. Yeah. You know, so. In, in, with, with the Roman occupation of Israel in Jerusalem, would there have been Roman guards within the temple or would, would the Jews have had some level of like. No, this is our space to worship. You must stay on the outside if you're, you know, you're a pagan. Yes, uh, the the Jews, the Romans would not have been allowed into the temple precincts. Okay, per se. Okay, um, but they would have been. Th- there was a, a garrison that was close by. I think it's called the Fortress of Antonio, okay. which is. Um, I'd have to look at a, at an actual drawing again, but it's it w- was was right nearby because things could get out of hand. In the temple area, well, yeah, well, that, that that you know, my my question comes because I I would think that in this pressure cooker of Israel under occupation, people are like riled up, like not only are we under occupation and like suffering, but we also have a promise of a Messiah and mm-hmm. of uh, you know redemption uh, and saving out of this. Yeah, and I would imagine if the 
if the Romans were outside the temple, then maybe this was not just a religious place, but a political, like, you know, there would be a political That's right. agitation inside there. That's right. So Roman incursion, uh, depending on how deeply they went into the temple precincts, would have been a, a provocation. Right. Um, so, but the Jews did have, uh, I don't know how much has been written, but you can kind of see it in the accounts of, uh, in the gospel accounts near the end of Jesus' life where the, you know, the, the, the religious leaders have guards. Right. In fact, you know, they send them to arrest yes, Jesus. And yes. At one point, they're so overwhelmed with, man, nobody ever spoke like this. What have you been, have you been bewitched by this guy too? You know, so they have their own, they do have their own guards to keep things. And that's why they came after Jesus in some ways. They were afraid of what he was going to do. Yeah. Uh, if people get a hold of him, look out. This whole thing will be a powder keg. The Romans will crush us. Wow. In order to um, to restore order, so yeah, they they uh, the Romans were there, but they they you know if they were smart, they tried not to because inf- if there was anything that was going to set off the Jewish a Jewish revolt, it was to be uh, disrespectful, unclean, yeah, you know, do something sacrilegious in the temple area, yeah, yeah, and so, you read that through history, right, like. I think I was reading Alexander the Great um, acknowledged that Jews wanted to observe the Sabbath and let them observe the Sabbath, yes. even though you could be making citizens yeah. you know, work. Because it's like, I will have happier subjects who will work better if yeah. they have their religious freedom. Yeah, smart. It's not a new thing, is it? Nope. Oh, amazing. So we move from this narrative and it skips forward 12 years. We have a little montage in the film. That's right. <laughs> and... <laughs> shows toddler jesus and <laughs> that's right and uh quickly slip out get some popcorn yeah that's right uh and then we have the story they go to jerusalem for the passover when he was 12 years old uh, and we have this class <laughs> this classic story of oh where's my son we're we're halfway home where is he oh i thought he was with you and you you wonder to yourselves um what kind of parental scenarios going on here uh but i guess the men would walk together and the women would walk together and yeah everyone assumed that he was with each other yeah well jesus is 12 so oh is he a man by now almost he, or he's around 12 he would be he would be doing this um he probably would come to some of the the these major festivals in and around that time and and because he's around in that age group he's kind of in the no man no man's land right so he he could uh, travel with the women and the smaller children home, yeah. or he could be with the men and the older boys. Because he's a year off being a man. Yeah, he's he's kind of in that 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 zone, and uh, and so obviously they they think, oh, he's you know Mary's thinking he's with his dad. Yeah, he's thinking oh he's with his mother. Yeah, it's it's, it's only when they stop a day's journey out that they realize, hey, I thought I thought he was with you. No, no, I thought he was with you. Yeah. So it takes, you know, so it's two days at least that he's there, probably three. <laughs> it, it brings so many questions, but we're not given the answer, so no. we won't speculate no. too much. But the... the <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Home Alone. Like the Home Alone. <laughs> Kevin! <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's so good. Um, and so when they do go back, they go in and, and after three days, <laughs> After three more days, they find him in the temple courts, uh, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
And then this powerful line, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Before we go any further, how much of a uh, an education in the Hebrew Bible would we expect that Jesus would have had as a good Jewish boy in a conservative backwater yeah. Yeah. town in, in Galilee? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there, again, there, there are written things, but he's living in oral culture. It's not like he had access to a Bible anytime okay. that he wanted to. Uh, so, but you have to figure his parents were pious uh, in terms of the law. He went to synagogue regularly, maybe even more than regularly. It's hard to tell. Uh, he would have picked things up in each of those and also from the general culture. Uh, you know, um, it's un, it's unclear whether he would have been able to go to synagogue school or not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not quite what sure. What synagogue school? Well, it's where you you would have gone and you would have learned how to to parse the scriptures, etc. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure. I think in some places, and again, I, I'm, I can't remember all of the, the technicalities of this, but in some places, many, many were able to do this. Um, but I think at, at least, uh, no matter what it was, uh, what, what he heard, you know, if, you know, m- most of us, when, when we hear things, if we're not interested and, in, you know, if we go to church and we're little, well, I'm more interested in playing with my friends. Yeah. But if he had a consciousness of his own identity, which I think he did, I think this is part of what it means by, you know, Mary treasured these things in his heart. Everybody else who experienced the special events were like, wow, it was amazing. This, this is incredible. The angels showed up and the, you know, the Messiah. Blah, blah, blah. And Mary is taking these things into her heart and contemplating them. So, uh, you know, at some point she probably, I'm guessing, of course, we don't know. But at some point, she she must have relayed to Jesus, wow. you know, when you were born, these were the things that happened, and and what does that mean? And how, so, you know, the treasuring in her heart probably also meant, how do I bring this child up? What kind of identity? What are the things I teach him? Uh, how do, how do I instruct him since this is who he is? Uh, so if if he paid attention and contemplated. What does what does this mean? What does this scripture mean in light of what my mother has told me? Yeah. In light of who I am, uh, you know, th- then he he would have doubled down on those things and memorized them probably and grasped them and put yeah. them into his, you know, his identity and deep deep into his heart. So it's not really clear how much formal education he had. Yeah. Uh, but if he was serious about all of this from an early early age, that he could have. He could have and probably did seriously uh, forge ahead of his contemporaries in terms of his knowledge. Which he clearly does because he's mixing it with the adults and they're saying, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. And, and he's, and he's no, you know, he's, he's built for it. He's, he's very smart in, in this area. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And then he, and then he lets the cat out the bag and we get here the fascinating uh, glimpse and it's, it's our only record of his, childhood of of him being born to him being a man this is our only window yeah and here we see identity is complete he he knows yeah uh he he doesn't talk in this passage about what his vocation will be in being the messiah Mm. um but you've 
you know, however he worked that out, his identity as the son of God is revealed here. So he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Yes. They don't understand what he's saying to them, which is lovely, no. that, that little... Well, I think, <laughs> I um, I, I, and there's some debate about this, but I think what we've always said is, you know, Israel kind of had this concept that God was their father, but I, my understanding is that... Uh, that that actually there was more use of language of God being being an individual's father than we knew. Uh, so when, when Luke records this, it's hard to know exactly how how Jesus meant it, but for sure Luke is saying hello. Yeah, <laughs> this is this you know he he has some understanding, right? I, and the other thing I didn't say was. Uh, of course, as he's meditating on this, uh, how much the illumination of the spirit was was happening. We we always talk about revelation, but I think the technical term is really illumination. Yes. Okay. How much did the spirit kind of impart to him about himself and certain scriptures, etc. Yeah. Um, I I think I mean one of the places I used to be, Jonathan. Maybe you used to be here as well, but. I always just assumed Jesus knew all this stuff because he was God's son, because right. he's he's divine. Right. Uh, but I think when you when when you think about that, then that really yes, he is God's son. But if he's gaining a supernatural, uh, if he's having this, he's cheating in a sense. Yes, it's, he, not, he it's not the emptied himself. Of no, he can't be fully human and go through all of that if he's exercising all his divine powers, right. which includes right. omniscience. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I, so I think that that coming from that place where I used to stand is um, it doesn't work actually. Mm. You have to understand Jesus. Yes, he was God, but he came in the flesh and he went through growth as a human being. He, he just like all of us as children, he learned certain things uh, in in the normal kinds of ways. Um, otherwise. Uh, you know he can't know what it's like for us to be human, and he can't really uh, be the human that takes all of our sin. He can't be the one who was successful where the rest of us failed. If he wasn't exercising his full humanity, if he was cheating, so to speak, because hey, I've I've got really God on the side, so I'm going to pull out the stuff that nobody else knows. Yeah, um, you know, you know, through those methods, so. Yeah, I think that's that's more helpful. Uh, to, you know, he he burped and he had to have his diapers changed. Yes, and, of course. And uh, his mother had to tell him, "No, you know, you don't want to do it like that. You need to do it this way because yeah. this is what God honors God." Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that's helpful, actually. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, it adds to the uh, mystery and the intrigue about the person of jesus doesn't it yeah yeah in a quite a safe way it just add it it piles on the uh yeah just the intrigue doesn't it yeah and you and i can relate we can all relate better to a jesus who yes was uh, wrestling with this identity that's right because there must have been such a wrestle as time goes by yeah that might that because we know how the process works when we come to a conclusion ourselves that we're not you know when we get revelation on something and it and it and we're like, oh, I have to change. You know, there must have been a moment where Jesus, through reading the scriptures and through communing with the Holy Spirit and the Father, he has an aha moment where he's like, I'm going to die on a cross 
for the sins of the world. Yeah. Man. <laughs> That's a great journaling time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> By the way, someday you're going to die this way. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, we're so grateful. Absolutely. Wow. Well, let's just, uh, yeah, let's just pray into that. It's mm. it's beautiful stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Ooh, well, uh, Jesus, we are so thankful just for the dignity uh, in which you come. And, and uh, we're so thankful that you came. And we're thankful for the humanity that is demonstrated here. And I thank you that you came to bear with us and in all of the human stuff that we experience, in all of our humanity, uh, you were so present in in the midst of being human. And Jesus, thank you that you bear with us in our weaknesses and you understand that um, our frailty is very, very intimately known by you. Yeah, we, we stand in awe of you. Yeah, Lord, um, I just um, pray that the the joy that was attendant at uh, at your birth, Jesus, that that joy will infuse all of us right now, wherever we are. So allow your Spirit to come into all the rooms where we are, and into our own hearts, and and lift our eyes up to see uh, just what it means that you have come, not just the event of the your death and resurrection, but just the joy at your birth, the joy that the Father cares and, um, um, and, and is bringing about a moment of, of um, overturning everything that's wrong. And, and in that very moment, um, you know, his, uh, his program of righting every wrong has now started, and we're in the middle of that that um, that process of turning things upside down uh, for a better world and a, a, a better relationships and um, for everything to come to fruition in you. So Jesus, uh, Jesus, just pour out that joy, the joy that came at your birth into us right now, tonight. Thank you, Lord. And Amen. 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 Well, that concludes this series for unpacking the Bible on the prologues and birth narratives. Thanks for being with us. And we will be back with a new series very soon. See you then. Bye-bye.